Verse 18, now I am not sure, being that I am an old-timer, whether I covered this last week or two weeks ago uh, or not, but regardless, I liked it so well, whether I did or not, I'm going to do it again, this particular proverb. So, uh, and this, when I read it to you, you'll understand why I like it so well. Proverbs 17, 18 should come up on the Amplified behind me, but I'm going to read the King James Version. A man void of understanding striketh hands and... There it is. I got it that time. Oh, yeah. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. You did very well. I don't think I. I don't think I can move that fast. I mean, that was quick. All right. So, <clears throat> Proverbs again, seventeen, eighteen. You understand. I, I want to. Uh, you can go ahead and be seated. I'm going to read this again because I think it cut out in a minute. A man void of understanding striketh hands and becomes surety in the presence of his friend. And uh, you will understand why I like this so well. Um, This is speaking of, and like all Proverbs, Proverbs, they get into where you live. You know, you don't see a lot of super spiritual things in Proverbs. But it is basically how you need to live day by day. What you need to do and what you need not to do. What you need to avoid. What you need to get in the presence of. All of these things is in Proverbs. That's why that they say that all the Bible is condensed into the book of Proverbs. And so we're seeing some, some things here. And I, I want to I qualify one other thing. The book of Proverbs uses the term fool and foolish a lot. And I know that in the uh, New Testament, Jesus said, call no man a fool. I realize that for some of you that are Bible scholars and know that. Um, again, we're looking at, at two, we're looking at one Greek form of the term fool, and as well as this one is, uh, or what you will see in the book of Proverbs, it's not used here in this proverb, but it uh, alludes to a foolish person. And when you see the term foolish in, in the Hebrew, it is talking about a silly person. Or actually, it says stupid, but I didn't want to hurt your sensibilities with that term stupid. So we say silly, and you understand what I'm talking about. Now, this proverb is saying this, that impulsive, impulsive risk takers are stupid, silly, foolish. Okay? Impulsive risk takers. Can anybody define the term impulsive on my starboard side? Is that your hands up, sis? What is it? Doing something without thinking about it. Impulsive. They do stupid things. Impulsive. Now, without, without thinking, a lot of people will make financial commitments that they should not make such as going into a new car lot and buying a new car because it smells good. Your old car smells like something out of a diaper. And so you go, 
You go in and then you, you know, you smell this new one and, and you forgot that your wife left the dirty diaper under the seat and that's the reason it smells that way. All you have to do, you can buy that stuff in a can now and spray in your car and it smells like a new car. But instead you go buy a new car. That's, that's an impulsive, silly thing. A lot of people are just simply puffed up by pride. They want to appear wealthier than they are. Short-sighted, they can't see that promises made today may be more than they can pay tomorrow. So in order to impress friends, they co-sign loans or guarantee performance in other ways. Now, wise men seek to reduce risk. Always a wise man will reduce risk. But these showy people do not understand that simple little way of living. Now, striking hands was a custom. Now, understand something. It's not a matter of the handshake. A lot of times it is simply struck hands, like, you know, like that, or grip a wrist like this. It was just simply the touching, and that sealed it. That was the sealing of it. It was like giving your, your signature today. All right, I am, you know, he, he is, he is uh, he's going to loan Brother Hill $25,375.66. That's to pay for that tree that, was, that did damage on my property. Okay, now, so, <laughs> all right. So, so, you know, he, he, he looks at him and he sees him and he knows he can't know how to cut trees. So he looks to me, who is a great tree cutter, and, you know, and they say, you guarantee that he'll pay me that money back. So we strike hands, that guarantees the loan. That's what that means. Okay, now, that was a custom back then. So it's not really a matter of clasping or gripping another hand so much. Uh, it's just an extraneous act. Uh, a hand of one person is touched solidly to the, to the hand of another person to establish a transaction or a promise, an intention. In the context of this proverb, the hands are clasped to guarantee financial backing for a friend or for poor credit. A surety is a guarantor. The fool guaranteed his friend's debts by shaking the creditor's hand and promising to pay if the friend does not. Though the lender would not accept the friend's assets or character, the financial fool boldly flaunted his economic power to complete the deal. Now many wives and children have learned too late that their assets and future income were promised to another in just such a hasty moment of financial foolishness. There's a lot of people that find out their whole future has been messed up by somebody who thought they had more than what they really had. Now, helping a friend in need. So I'm going to get to this part for some of you that are looking out there, but how about that friend in Number one, number one, the first thing, do not promise anybody anything you can't come up with. Unless you have the ability in your back pocket or in the bank in order to do it, then don't do it. It's one thing to help a friend. Personally, I believe Jesus taught that if you see a friend in need, you give it to him. You don't make a loan. If it's a loan, then, you're, then you have to pay it back. Okay? So helping a friend in need with a little financial backing is one thing. Overcommitting yourself by taking excessive contingent liabilities is another. An appeal from a lazy friend and, and proud thoughts of closing a deal can form a powerful temptation. Solomon warned his son about losing his bed with such debts. Look at, uh, look at uh, Proverbs 22, 26, and 27. 
Proverbs 22. Be not one of those who strike hands and pledge themselves or of those who become security for another's debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? That's one way. Can you imagine being in a mess and you're sleeping one night, some guy comes in, grabs a bed, takes it out from under you. That's what he's saying. He said he can come in and take everything that you have because you made a silly mistake. He told his son, he said, get out of such commitments with the desperation of a deer trying to escape from the hunter or a bird from the fowler in uh, Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. Co-signing is a great financial danger. There's a lot of politicians and governments that violate this simple rule. Wise men reduce financial risk and minimize contingent liabilities, but men running for office are sorely tempted to promise great things. How else could they buy a vote unless they promise him? I mean, I can't come up and give him 100 bucks for his vote. That's not going to do it. So I promise everybody great things, just like what we got in office today. Of course, it's not just him. I'm not picking on anybody. It's all of them. They all promise you great things. And what's what gets me, why do we fall for that? Why would we vote? Why are we that silly that we fall for it? Why do we vote for any particular party because somebody 50 years ago did something good out of that party? We don't look at what's going on right now. We don't take a good, hard look. Number one, a president can't do much anyway, so mostly up to Congress. And so we look at this and we put people in there that cause problems or can't do anything or don't even try because they make promises they can't possibly keep. And it's the same way within our lives individually. We, we go and we fall for things. I had, I had something on there. I sent it to you. You probably haven't looked at it yet. Did you see it? Has that been going around? Is that one of them? I got something that said I won lottery. I don't even play the lottery. Okay, but it was an uh, Internet lottery. And, of course, it was in the, U, it was the United Kingdom. It's never around here. It's always the United Kingdom. I won $5,500,000. Do what? It wasn't Nigeria this time. I think Nigerians moved to to Britain. Okay. So, you know, and and I looked, and it looked good. If you read down through there, it looked good. That gave you all these these well-known companies that supported this thing. Now, you know, of course, and it didn't even ask for anything out of the way. But I'm sure that if I sent the information it asked for, they would come back and ask me for something else. So, you know, there's always, there's always something out there to try to get your money. There's always. And there's always people out there to try to get your money. So it's simple. You know, you've you, you got to use your head when it comes to this. And greed can cause a person to make some big mistakes. And looking back at politicians, since they, they can't bribe each voter, they instead promise future benefits to each voter, even though the total cost of such benefits is financially and politically impossible. They are either run out of office for not keeping their promises or they resort to deficit spending to fulfill their obligations. So this lesson's simple. Do not co-sign loans unless the amount is small. The situation desperate and is for, for need. Now, there is needs. And again, if you can afford to help somebody and give it to them, that's one thing. If it's a loan, then you be sure it's small enough that you can take the, take the risk. Don't do this for something large. Other lessons are evident. Hate debt. Reduce risk. Stay insured. Avoid contracts. Fear leases. Limit promises. Love cash. Hate credit. Exalt savings. And maximize your credit rating. And warn your friends against borrowing. 
You ever stop and think about the greatest guarantor that there ever was? The greatest one. In the universe where God was the creditor. And we, as individuals, owed a debt as sinners. Now you think about this. And we could not in any way pay for our freedom. God's holy nature required that each one of us die. That was His holy nature. And we were to spend eternity in a debtor's prison of the lake of fire. That's where we were supposed to go. Every one of us. But a prince stepped forward and said that he would die for each and every one of us. Isn't that wonderful? You ever stop and just let that soak into you? We owed a debt that we could not pay, but we had one who co-signed, if you would, for us. The greatest guarantor that there ever was. So much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. You can read that in Hebrews 7.22. He was a surety for us. Proverbs 17.21. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. Are we ready? One thing about Proverbs, Proverbs covers a great deal about raising children. Have you ever noticed that? It must have been a problem back then just like it is a problem today. The only difference is that back then they used to beat the fire out of them. And now today we can't beat the fire out of them. Well, we're not supposed to beat the fire. We beat the fire out of them cautiously, very cautiously. But that's still what they need. It's still the same thing. You want to mess up your life? Anybody would like to mess up your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, a few back there would like to mess up your life. How would you like to forfeit your joy? How would you like to do that? How about uh, face sorrow and shame? Question. Would you like to do that? Then have a child that's silly, foolish, stupid. Okay? A shameful, troublesome child can suck the life out of your soul. And it will be a calamity that will crush you and your spouse. The issue here is not up to fate. By the way, for those of you who use the term fate, this was a pagan invention of Homer who wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad. That was just the fates was mythology. So don't use that term. The God of heaven might justly chasten you or your ancestors. Now, I'm careful with what I'm saying here, but I'm giving you Scripture. I believe the Bible says you reap what you sow. Is it possible that you are chastised by having a foolish child? Is it possible that it can go way back down the line? Of course, we know about iniquities. I've taught about iniquities. So it can go all the way through. But somewhere along the line, something has to be broken to stop that from happening. I have to break that iniquity that was passed down. If there was some chastisement, if there was iniquity in the lineage somewhere, then I have to take care of that in my life so it doesn't pass on to my children and so forth. I have to. Somewhere it has to stop. Now, before I go any further, I, I, because I'm going to tell you where the bulk of this problem comes from, but I want to stop, I want right here, I want some people to understand there are some things you cannot do to stop a reaping process until the reaping is finished. And the worst thing that you can do is add to the reaping process by doing something foolish. If you've got a foolish child and you're reaping from a foolish childhood, then get through the reaping process. Still be a good parent. Don't throw up your hands and give up. Now, so... You know, it just, it just, some children are just simply bad because they're neglected or parental duties are neglected. 
And sometimes you create a foolish child by just simply <laughs> by being foolish yourself. And if you were a good parent, this foolish child wouldn't exist. All children are born foolish with a heart that defaults to selfishness, selfishness, slothfulness, and sin. According to Psalm 14, 1 through 3, uh, Proverbs 51, or I'm sorry, Psalm 14, 1 through 3, and 51 and 5, 58 and 3, and also Proverbs 22, 15. However, this foolishness may generally be driven out of a child by reproof and the rod of correction. Look behind me quickly. We've covered this a lot. 22, 15, Proverbs. You're going to see the greatest one of all. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Stay, keep that up there just for a moment. Note this. It doesn't say you have to beat him. It said the rod of discipline. It is consistent discipline that stops you from having a foolish child. Consistent discipline stops it. Now, some children are born compulsive, and incorrigible. We know that. And they can be foolish, which again is either God's chastening if the parents are elect or judgment if they're not elect. There is no cure for this, this particular child, for you cannot drive the foolishness out of him by any means. Proverbs twenty seven twenty two. Look at this. I want to cover that again. Proverbs twenty seven twenty two. Proverbs twenty seven twenty I think if I talk loud enough it'll come up. Even though like grain you should pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle, yet will not this his foolishness depart from him. So you understand what that's talking about. That's talking about making grain into flour. That's talking about a, 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 you pound it with a pestle, you put it in a mortar or a place that contains it, you pound it up, you make it into flour. So that's what he's saying, that as some children, some people, some foolish people, no matter how much you beat them, you're not going to drive the foolishness out of them. Now again, let's go back and let's look at this for a moment. Again, some are born compulsive, incorrigible, foolish, which is either God's chastening if the parents are in the church or God's elect. Or it can, they can be uh, uh, a judgment that if a, a child is not or a, a parent is not in the church. And so there's no cure for this. Now that, that sounds bad, but we're looking at Scripture here. It's the reason I said that. There are some things that cannot be helped. Okay, but that does not give you the license to quit trying. So sometimes you can sit back, what am I going to do with that kid? Well, I've been a good parent, I've done everything. Well, there may be some chastening going on, or if you are not in the church, there may be some judgment going on. One way or the other. Let's just say this, if I was a young married person, I would get all my ducks in a row before I had a child. I get all my repenting done. I go and I apologize to my parents. Now you hear me. I'd apologize to my parents for if you know if I deserve it. If you were a child like me who was always great and grand, didn't have to do that, you know, just because I was that Bob same way, he never did anything wrong. <laughs> no, no. All right, so that's uh, you know th th there's some we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Neglectful parents, especially lazy fathers. Got that? Especially lazy fathers. You're going to be a, you're going to be a, yeah, one of these days here real soon. That's one thing I'm going to have to worry about you. You'll never be lazy, that's for sure. I don't know. I, 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 I won't pick on you anymore just because you messed with me one time. That's, you know, I won't do that. 
What is a lazy father? Anyone want to define a lazy father? Now, let, now, now, now let's stop here. I know where you're going to go with this, but let's, let's, let's get a hand upraised. Not you, Sister Evans. You don't have a right to say anything at all. Okay, so, so raise your hands if somebody could define what I am thinking a lazy father is. Go ahead. Aha. Uh-huh. That's exactly right, and that's what I'm looking for. It's a matter of being the spiritual leader of your home. All right? It's a matter of being a spiritual leader of your home. So lazy fathers, they can turn their children into fools. Now, these very hateful men do not train their children, and the results are terrible. The children are hardened in the foolishness of which they were born. And there, there's, there is hope when a child is young, according to uh, Proverbs 13, 19, and 22. But if you squander the opportunity, shame and trouble are your future, Proverbs 29, 15. So what are the lessons here? A foolish son or a daughter is a terrible calamity. Since one source may be the chastening of God, it is your wisdom to live as holy and virtuous a life as possible. If God will peradventure save you from such punishment, since child training can teach wisdom and eliminate foolishness, there is every good reason to be diligent and faithful in consistently training each of your children. Are you hearing me? You've got to be diligent and faithful. We use those words, uh, the, 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 all the people who know what they're saying would be consistent. I, we use biblical words, diligent and faithful, same thing. Diligent, faithful, consistent. Doing the same thing. Doing the same thing. Doing the same thing. Over and over and over. Let them see you. I know that people get tired. I know that they don't always feel like doing things, but they, they have got to understand. They've got to know why you are the way you are. If you don't allow a child to know, you know, Dad's tired tonight. I may not be able to do what you'd like for me to do. I'll try to do it tomorrow night. And keeping your word. And keeping your word. Keeping your word. The pain of a foolish child is great. So be a great parent. Each day you take off brings, uh, brings greater sorrow. As, as you exemplary by living wisely, authoritative by enforcing godliness, pitiful. And when I'm saying pitiful, I'm not talking about you being pitiful. I'm talking about showing pity. Showing pity. Knowledgeable. Teaching. Realistic. Friendly. Consistent. Spiritual. Leading. Each point is important. But most of all, do you pray for them? Let's look at these again. Authoritative by enforcing godliness, being pitiful, knowledgeable, teaching, realistic, friendly, consistent, spiritual, leading. Have you already failed as a parent? Let's ask that. Don't answer. Do you have one or more foolish children with your last name? So what do you do next? You confess your sin to God. Now you hear me. This is your child we're talking about, not your pride. You confess your sin to God. You beg God for mercy. You confess to your children and make every godly effort to teach and train them with options you have left. The Lord is able to restore the years that were lost to your foolishness and His chastening. God can restore that. God can turn this around. Don't ever think it's no, there's no hope. God can turn every bit of this around. 
I believe it's well worth it. And I know people make mistakes. People are not always living for God. There's people that come in here brand new. They've done some dumb things in their life. And God can turn all this around if you're sincere and you confess your sin and you, you pick up where you should have picked up years ago and you start working at it. Proverbs 17:22. This is another one of my favorite. I've got all these Proverbs are my favorite, I've noticed. Proverbs 17:22 coming up behind me in the Amplified. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Broken spirit drieth the bones. You affect your health by more than diet, nutrition, exercise, exposure, and sleep. You affect it with more than that. You affect it by your attitude and your spirit. A happy, cheerful spirit will improve your health, but a wounded and negative spirit can ruin you. A wounded and negative spirit can ruin you. I know you've heard this from me till you're probably tired and I am not senile. But I'm going to say it until I finally get it across to the right people. You can only be wounded for so long. Eventually a wound has got to heal. Are you, are you hearing me? Eventually a wound has got to heal. I've seen people lay that crutch out for 50 years. Back something that happened when they were four years old. Come on! You're telling me that my God who saved me and has done so much in my life can't do the same thing for you? I've been wounded, I've been hurt, but I'm not going to walk around and whine about it. Come on, let's get up off of it and say, God, you're bigger, I'm going to heaven, I'm going with joy in my heart, I'm going in the right spirit. Make a choice today that I am not going to remain wounded. I'm not going to remain hurt. My Lord. I could preach on that for an hour and a half and then probably turn around and do it again. And then hit somebody over the head with my microphone just to get their attention. It'll improve your health if, you, if you're a happy person, cheerful person. So how's your attitude today? Do yourself a favor. Consider the wisdom here and choose to be cheerful in the Lord. We need to use a choice. I choose every day to be happy. I choose every day to be joyful. I choose every day to be cheerful. Every day I, I, I choose that. So we need to consider the wisdom here and choose to be cheerful in the Lord. And we need to do it today. Now our proverb simile here, like a medicine, and the metaphor, dryeth the bones, should not be dissected to endorse antibiotics or explain marrow drying in your bones. That's not what it's talking about. They are rather teaching the general health value of a happy outlook and an attitude toward life. Recent medical studies have confirmed this fact taught by Solomon 3,000 years ago. Those who laugh and enjoy life will live longer. And we have a whole category of sicknesses and body maladies called psychosomatic. Psycho means mind, somatic means body. Illnesses where the mind negatively affects physical health. So God knew about this 3,000 years ago. We need to give God the glory. You ever stop thinking, we read this stuff now. Well, I am going to get the Nobel Prize for knowing about psychosomatic illnesses. And he just read the scripture. He read that proverb right there. And he finally, you know, he, oh, yeah, yeah. You know? probably some Russian health czar over there probably figured that all out. <laughs> I, had to, I haven't done anything bad to him for a while, so I figured it's about time to, to do something here. All right. 
A merry heart or a broken spirit is a choice. You choose today whether you're going to have a merry heart or a broken spirit. What's your choice? Come on, what's your choice? Let's see a smile on some. Let's see your dentures a little bit out there. Come on. Show me your dentures. Don't take them out either. I don't want to see them that one. <laughs> they are not results of fate. Are you hearing me? A merry heart or a broken spirit is not a result of fate. Temperament, genetics, or health. Not, not one of them. And they are not the result of circumstances, for a cheerful, a cheerful person can choose to be happy in horrible difficulties. And I've seen that, and so have you. And a morose person can ruin a wonderful time. Can you? I, I mean, they can, they can mess up everything. You ever, you ever had somebody walk amongst you when everybody was happy and everybody started frowning instantly, didn't have to open their mouth? They were just there, and everybody just, oh. just felt like melting into the floor. Because you knew what was going to come out of their mouth wasn't going to be happy. So you anticipated the bad. That's not the way it should be. Not at all. Now, the, the Bible says that we can have a continual feast through life. And if you have a joyful heart, you can have that. But a person with a negative attitude can find something wrong every day. Proverbs 15 and 15. You can, you can consider that. Christian joy is actually a command. Look at Philippians 4. And four. Then we're going to go to First Thessalonians five sixteen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, gladden yourselves in Him. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, what's it saying? Rejoice in the Lord. That's a command. In the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Go to the next one. First Thessalonians. Be happy in your faith and rejoice and be glad-hearted. What continually, always continually. Again, we see a command. We're to be happy. What, what, why shouldn't we be happy? What, what's the worst thing that can happen to a human being? They can die. Well, we're, we're not talking about spiritual yet. But it, we're talking about here, I hope everybody in here is not going to go to hell. Are you planning on going to hell? Okay. So the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. Then you go to heaven. Now, how bad is that? Now, think about it. I'm not telling you to speed things up. I'm just saying. I am saying that the worst thing that can happen to us as Christians is that we die, and if we die, we go to heaven. Why shouldn't we delight? I mean, I'd rather delight in what's going to happen to me for an eternity. Come on, hear me. Now, if you're out there doing all the bad things, you're going to go to hell, then you go ahead and be morose. All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right, so Christian joy is command, but the laughter of fools is a sin. Look at Ephesians uh, 5 4. Ephesians 5 4. Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolish and sinful, silly and corrupt talk, nor coarse jesting. Now, this tells you what jesting is here. You know, I've had a lot of people ask me about jesting. You know, telling little jokes. This tells you what it really is coarse jesting. Anybody want to know what coarse is? Nasty, bad jokes. Not bad jokes. Brother Hill tells bad jokes. Uh, filthy jokes. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm really going. <laughs> I'm talking about dirty jokes. No, no you don't tell dirty jokes. <laughs> no, no, I don't want you to tell me your bad jokes. You know, you know how a person tells a bad joke and you're sitting, you can't figure the punchline out and you're trying to laugh. 
Okay. I just wanted you to know what I was talking about. Okay. <laughs> Folly is no medicine. Jesting is no balm. Both are perverse and destructive. Solomon called them madness in Ecclesiastes 2.2. Our proverb is not teaching a foolish or naive approach to life. It promises natural blessings on the spiritual fruit and commandment of joy. And it condemns a negative and critical and unthankful heart. Sin destroys a merry heart for a child of God cannot be happy out of fellowship with his father. David often described the broken spirit caused by sin in Psalm 6, 1 through 6, 38, 1 through 11. It dried him up, broke his bones, and miserably tormented him from the inside out. He spent his time crying and grieving rather than rejoicing and living. So the simple first step to a merry heart and good health is to live holy and a blameless life. Do you hear that? Just live right, folks. That's all. Just live right and you'll have a joyful heart. You'll have a joyful heart. Live right. Discontentment will ruin health for all you can think about is what you do not have. Even if you have a lot. Ahab's life was ruined because he could not have Naboth's vineyard in 1 Kings 21, 1-4. And Amnon fell sick out of lust for his sister in 2 Samuel 13, 1-4. No wonder the Holy Spirit teaches true success is godliness and contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6. And it is indeed a source of immense profit for godliness accompanied with contentment. That contentment, which is a sense of inward sufficiency, is great and abundant gain. Right there. Great contentment. So godliness and contentment is great gain. If you allow envy, bitterness, lust, resentment, or anger in your life, you're begging for the judgment of God and serious health problems. Are you hearing me? You're looking for serious health problems. If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. You will dry up your health by such an evil disposition. But if you are joyful, loving, thankful, peaceful, forgiving, and full of praise, you will find the blessing of God and a therapeutic balm for your body. And if you make the Lord the joy of your life, you will have a constant reason to be merry regardless of the circumstances. The preacher tells you to enjoy life today in Ecclesiastes 9.7. So we need to heed his inspired advice, or are we going to allow sin and sinful attitudes to corrupt soul and body? I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. The Lord Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. What more must he do to bring joy to your heart? Think about this. I don't care how bad you are. Even if you've got bad health, there can be joy in a person. There can be joy. And I've seen people of, of, of age that, that had a hard time getting around. And many times you've heard me preach about my, my great aunt who she couldn't hear and she couldn't see. And all she could do was grab the back of the pew and dance. She couldn't hear, couldn't know. The, she wouldn't have known music was playing or not playing. But there was an inward joy within her. You know, that's the way that I want to go out. I want to go out with a merry heart. I want to go out with joy in my heart. I want to go out that way. That's the way we should. That's how it should be the joy of each and every one of us. And that's, that's the right thing to do. Nothing more refreshing and helpful than to examine yourself, confess your sins in private prayer, then offer him the sacrifice of praise, singing either alone or in the assembly. David had learned this well. He talked about it in Psalm 32.11. Habakkuk also spoke of it in 3.17 and 19. You'll never dance with all your might till you learn these things. 
You never will dance with everything that you've got till you learn how to be joyful in God regardless of the circumstances. Your health will get better. Everything will improve if you learn that simple little thing. Proverbs 17.27 Proverbs 17.27 He that hath knowledge Here's another good one. Spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. So, (laughs) I hate to say this. I'm going to get accused if I do. How do you find a silly person? Listen. That's all you have to do. If you hear, now, the reason I talk loudly is because I don't hear very well, so I've I, I got to be careful what I say here. Right? So there's a difference. But if you hear a lot of people who talk loud, it's because they want everybody to hear them just simply because you know, they think they've got the only knowledge going on here. So some of us old guys out there have to talk loud. Now, poor old Jack back there, when he talks, you can hear him all the way in here, and he could be back at the door. So, you know, but he, he can't hear very well, and that's okay. And I've had it been told to me the same thing. I heard one person that was down here one time heard me walk back in the vestibule talking. Well, not, it's just because I can't hear well. Not because Jack and I are silly. It's just because we don't hear well. All right, so, but if you hear a person loudly or, now let, let's take it one step further, quickly, critically, or a lot, you found a foolish man. A man with knowledge uses few words and only talks when necessary. A man with understanding is calm, careful, gracious, and helpful. If you're a fool, close your mouth. You have to determine whether you're a fool or not. You may be able to deceive others into appreciating you. According to Proverbs 17:28, actually it talks about that. That's what a person who talks a lot quickly they're trying to, to, to get an, uh, an approvement or getting someone to approve of them or appreciate them. And I think everybody in here knows exactly what I'm talking about when you see certain people that way. Could a blind man find you in a crowd? Think about that. Are you usually talking? Are you more interested in telling about yourself than asking about others? Are you more interested in winning a discussion and hearing others, uh, than hearing others' views? Is your volume in the high side, your tone a little arrogant and cutting, or your comments somewhat critical and negative? need to cover those again. I think some of you need to take notes on this. Is your tone a little arrogant? Are you real? Your volume on the high side, your tone a little arrogant and cutting, or your comments somewhat critical and negative? Then according to this, you're a foolish person. You've met men and women with excellent spirit. They're very rare in the world. But if you've met a few, you were totally at ease with them, honored by their presence, secure in your person and charmed by their gentleness and their kindness. You love being around them and you wish you could be like them. What is their distinctive trait? What causes a person to be that way? What makes them the kind of person you want to be around? Think about that. Most of it was their gracious speech. It is that simple. Even kings love those who talk graciously. Proverbs 22.11. Wise men use gracious words. Look at Ecclesiastes 10.12. Ecclesiastes 10.12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious and win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. It consumes him. Gracious women are always adored, according to Proverbs 11.16. 
Our Lord astounded men with his gracious words. Psalm 45, 2 and Luke 4, 22. And Paul taught it as the basis of acceptable speech for all. Colossians 4, 6. Look at this. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech at all times be gracious, pleasant and winsome, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may never be at a loss to know how you ought to answer anyone who puts a question to you. In other words, study. All you preachers, hear me. Study. Read. All you preachers, hear me. Read. Study. And I know you can only read so much here. Read good books. And if you don't, you are even read for entertainment. Good stuff. But read. It improves your vocabulary. Helps you know what kind of words you need to use. It helps you all the way around. Read. A person that cannot read, will not read, cannot preach. Are you hearing me? Don't depend on what you hear on tapes, CDs. Everybody said amen? Amen. All right. You've got to study. But fools, they're a different sort. And they are, according to the Scripture, rightfully hated. They must always be talking, according to Ecclesiastes 5.3. They have an opinion, a retort, an idea, or a suggestion. A fire burns in their mouths. They relieve it by babbling. Their talk is mischievous madness, according to Ecclesiastes 10 and Proverbs 13. They talk without thinking, Proverbs 15.28. That's bad. I'm going to come back to a scripture. I, I want to go there now, but I'm going to give it a minute. I'm going to get that. There's a, there's a really a good scripture in here that all of us need to take to heart. But these fools, they're, they're so irritating, you want to beat them. That's Proverbs 18.6. I'm just telling you what it says. Do you want an excellent spirit winning? Do you want an excellent spirit winning delight and favor with God and men? Shut up. It's the best way to do it. Shut up. Be quiet. Quiet. Listen to others. It's all right to talk, but be sure that you listen as well. Now, sometimes, <clears throat> I'm going to tell a little secret here I shouldn't say, but if I'm around a person that I discern, and I've done this more than once, I discern that they're going to ask some, forgive me for saying that there are, even according to Scripture, foolish questions. That's Scripture. And if I discern this person as argumentative, then what I do is I, will, I might get into what this calls a babbling fit. I talk so much and lean them, steer them away from what they're going to do and get them so lost mentally that they forgot what they were going to ask me. Then I walk away. And I've done that more than once. But I knew they were going to ask me something that would create an argument. And so I will just steer them away from what they're going. And then, uh, you know, I've done that again more than once. But now, is that speech seasoned with salt? Only God knows. I'll find out later. James 1.19. James 1.19. Understand this, my beloved brethren. Let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense, and to get angry. It's great scripture. Study before answering. Learn something of value to share. Be slow to speak. Hate your opinions and thoughts. Actually, Proverbs 26.12 tells you that. Confess your idiocy. <laughs> Proverbs 32-3. through 3. 
measure yourself strictly by the number of noblemen craving your presence. You know, if you have people that want to be around you, then you've got something going. Will you learn more about speech? The words of your tongue reveal your heart. Critical, harsh, or negative words reveal a black heart. Gracious speech begins in a pure heart. If you cannot say something kind and wise, do not talk ever. Now, I want to give you something. And I want you to see this scripture. This is Proverbs um, 10, 19. Many words will always include sin. Look at this. In a multitude of words, transgression is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is prudent. Leave that up there. I want you to look at this. I want you to understand this. What is anybody want to tell me what that is saying? Not you, Sister Evans. I want someone else. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. You're, you're so intelligent, you make everybody feel bad. Raise your hands. What's this saying? Tell me what this is saying. Just real simple. Go ahead, Mona. Do what? Smart to be silent. But what, what, what's, what is that saying to us exactly? Go ahead, Kristen. I'm not hearing you. Very good. Very good. That, that's it. When you get in a position where you are talking and... I, I, this is where clicks is so bad. If you've got a group of people you're with all the time, you're going to be in a conversation with them all the time, eventually you're going to get into something that's going to cause your lips to sin. You're going to start talking negatively. You're going to start gossiping, tail-bearing, running somebody down. That is why, as a pastor, you cannot have one close friend that you're with all the time. You will, your lips will, because listen folks, we run out of things to say and guess what, we're negative by nature and there's always something that bothers us and if we're around someone all the time, we're going to start confiding all that and you're going to start sinning. Listen to this. Listen to this. Pray about your speech, according to Psalm nineteen fourteen. Ruling your speech to the praise of God and men means you are perfect, according to James 3, 2. So we need help from God in everything that we do. I'm out of time. I'm going to try to pick up on Proverbs 17:28 uh, next week. Stand with me.